the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery presenting this week. On today's show, Ireland is officially in recession after the CSO confirmed that GDP shrank in the first two quarters. We'll be looking at what path the economy might take from here. And later, I'll be talking to Kira O'Brien about Google's move to abandon its plan to rent office space for 2,000 more workers in Dublin. But first, not even seemingly recession-proof Australia has been able to avoid an economic contraction in this pandemic. But is the state of the Irish economy better, worse, or on a par with our European neighbours, and what chances are there of a convincing rebound? My Irish Times colleague, Owen Burke-Kennedy, joins me remotely to discuss the numbers and the outlook. I'll start by asking you, what did the CSO data on Monday tell us? Well, uh, we got second quarter GDP figures. So as you know, GDP is the kind of standard measure of economic activity. And that said that the Irish economy contracted by 6.1% in the second quarter. Now, that's a pretty good result if we were to believe it. Um, it's about half what the Eurozone average uh, was, which was 12%. But of course, GDP in the Irish context is distorted by multinationals and multinational paying paying their parent companies royalties and other various payments. So it's not a really good measure of what's actually happened. So if you look at modified domestic demand, which is a kind of bespoke measure of economic activity that's probably more relevant uh, to Ireland, the economy here contracted by 16.4%. So that puts us ahead of the Eurozone average and nearly on a par with Spain, which was the worst performing economy in the Eurozone in terms of GDP. So once again, you know, everything to do with the Irish headline numbers has a kind of um, a rosy tint and then a, a kind of caveat that maybe this isn't really capturing the true level of activity on the ground. So breaking down the figures a little bit more, as you would expect, it's the more consumer-facing domestic sectors like hospitality, like restaurants, like bars that were hit badly, and the big multinational export-facing sectors that actually proved more resilient. So what are the forecasters saying now about, you know, where does the economy go from here? Yeah, well, like everything in the pandemic, economic forecasting, you know, at the best of times is a pretty uh, shaky science and in, in many uh, ways, it's actually been jettisoned largely because everything in the economy is based around uh, where the disease is going. And that's a kind of epidemiological question. So um, the central bank are just looking at scenario uh, planning for basically a resurgence of the cases, a second wave, and not really thinking of where the economy is actually projected to grow to. But um, most uh, forecasters are predicting a bounce back next year of varying degrees. But at the moment, you know, it's it's really in the lap of the gods. So, yeah, it's really uh, pegged to whether or not a vaccine uh, becomes available or, you know, failing that treatments or just something happens to limit the health damage uh, from the virus. Um, but I've seen the argument that it's easier to reopen pubs and hotels and restaurants than it is to, say, restart a manufacturing plant that has been shut down, perhaps because the the equipment might have been sold off, some skills might have been lost. So some of the heaviest hit uh, sectors here effectively can be reopened, you know, overnight. But surely the, the, the longer, you know, the sort of uncertainty hangs over them, 
the more difficult it is, first of all, for employment to stay where it is and also for just morale. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to pinpoint a kind of uh, outlook that we could all agree on. I mean, there's two things that happened. In June, there was a pickup in uh, consumer spending, quite a noticeable pickup. Now, a lot of people put that down to basically just a pent-up level of demand. So people were basically allowed to go back out shopping. They had probably saved a bit of money during the previous few months. And that gave cause for kind of an optimistic outlook. And then on the other side we have all these people, uh, furloughed workers and people basically reliant on state supports for their wages. Now, that can't go on forever. And obviously, that poses a major threat. When the government decides uh, to remove all these supports, that's going to cause a a very depressive anchoring of the economy. So we're sort of in between those two things, you know, whether uh, there's been savings and whether there's pent-up demand, and that will push the economy forward. And then taking all these people out of furlough schemes, out of wage supports, and maybe back into employment or maybe not back into employment. They're the big uh, kind of um, variabilities that we just don't really have a handle on at the moment. So Pascal Donoghue of uh, Minister for Finance fame, I mean, he's kind of been the key constant between the former government and the current government in the sense that he, he has remained in the same job. What are the the key issues that are lying ahead for him right now, do you think? Yeah, so he's uh, facing, obviously, you you would have to say his most challenging budget next month. And there's probably three, you know, areas that he will look at. One, we have now a spiralling budget deficit. Last year, we had a budget surplus. We were balancing the books. That's been thrown out the window. Now we're looking at a a budget deficit of about 30 million. But most countries in the world are are running deficits to cope with all the excess spending on health and wage support. So that's kind of non-controversial and that can be maybe, you know, shelved and worked on over a few years. Then another area is really, uh, you know, how is he going to basically give a lot of these businesses that are hanging on by their fingernails some sort of life support? And that is a real problem area. At the moment, we're facing into mass insolvencies across the board. And it's not clear that the supports already out there are actually getting to the places where we actually need them. So they're the big issues that he he will be looking at in the budget coming up. I know there were new unemployment figures out just this morning. Perhaps you could recap on what they were saying and where do you think that might go next? The CSO do this sort of COVID adjustment measure of the state's jobless rate. And that was put at uh, 15.4% this morning, now down from 176 the previous month. So it is coming down. And remember, we hit an all-time high of 28% back in April. So it is coming down, but it's coming down now at a much slower rate than before. So obviously we're getting into the kind of I suppose, a natural hit from COVID. And the central bank have predicted all along that unemployment's going to be, by the end of the year, somewhere between 10 and 15%. So, you know, might be 12% by the end of the year. So that's what we're looking at in terms of the kind of fallout from, from COVID. Where we go from there goes back to our original points, just how wary the consumer is going to be about spending, how much consumer activity is going to resume, how many people can go back to jobs and what sort of business insolvency rate we're facing into, all of which is predicated on epidemiology, which no economist can claim to have a handle on. 
Yes. I mean, just looking back at the KBC Bank consumer sentiment trend, you know, there was a rise for three months in a row, I think there, albeit from a complete trough. But it did slip back a little bit in August. And that did seem to be, to be tracking the rise in new cases of the virus. Is this just the reality we're in now that we're going to be in a kind of a economic uh, holding pattern until the, the virus is tackled? Yeah, I think... A lot of people, including myself, had this notion when we first went into the lockdown that we could essentially suppress the virus with a lockdown and then kind of gradually come out of it in stages and it would be done in a kind of neat fashion. But what we're having instead is a kind of messy in-between where we're kind of rushing to come out and then having to stall and go back in and at the same time we're having a resurgence in case numbers. So what we've got is this kind of messy in-between and what the consumer sentiment figures detail is that early optimism being dashed by a kind of resurgence in cases. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's just very unclear where we're actually going at the moment. There's, you know, rumours and, uh, and, and threats of, of, of county by county lockdowns. If the case numbers get any higher, that's obviously going to be weighing on consumer sentiment. That's going to be making people very wary. Uh, at the same time, there's this kind of suggestion that we cannot afford economically to go into a lockdown, even on, on a county-by-county county basis again, because the economy is is so weak and vulnerable at the moment. So it's a very difficult phase we're at, and to pinpoint an outlook is just next to impossible. And in terms of, you know, the, the sort of misery levels, shall we say, across the country is there a sense that things are still going to get worse before they get better? I mean, there's a. I know you were writing a very good column today about the, the housing situation for many people. You know, it's a kind of precarious situation where if they can't make their rent, then they fear eviction. There's been a housing crisis in effect in Dublin and parts of the country. If you're a tenant worried about your future and, and where you live and where you work, you know, you're probably not going to be paying too much attention to how pharma exports are, are holding up, are you? I mean, is, is there capacity here for a bit of a, a, a political uh, backlash, even more than what we've seen so far? Yeah, it's an interesting question, I mean, because the, the COVID-19 fallout has obviously hit the consumer-facing industries uh, much harder than the big pharma and the big exporting industries and the more kind of resilient ones. So within that, we have a lot of low-paid workers in the service industry and in the hospitality industry getting hit and losing their jobs. And they're more likely to be renting and they're more likely to, you know, suffer the financial fallout and the immediate fallout quicker than anybody else. So the question is just, will that really exacerbate things in the rental market? It's difficult to tell. Rents are extremely high. You'd have to imagine a lot of those people who have lost their jobs are going to be really struggling to pay average rents, which are now, you know, over 2,000 a month in Dublin. So, yeah, it does seem... You know, like the uh, financial crisis in 2008, it does seem to have generated a certain uh, wage differential problem. And like the, like the 2008 financial crisis, it was the export sector, the big multinationals that kind of drove the optimism at the beginning because they continue to export and they, they lifted the economy in certain parts. But the domestic economy is likely to remain in the doldrums for quite some time. And obviously, uh, the cohort of workers that have borne the brunt of COVID are the most vulnerable financially. Yes. So, I mean, rather than the fabled uh, V-shaped recovery, we might get what Martin Sorrell calls the inverse square root recovery, which if you can picture that, 
isn't really um, much of a recovery at all, or at least not in the in the short term. But we'll have to wait and see. But on that, you know, slightly dispiriting note, thank you very much, Owen Burke Kennedy. Thank you. Coming up, the great Google U-turn. At Davy, we know the best investment right now is a conversation about your cash. With inflation and negative interest rates eroding value, holding cash could actually cost you money. And if you're in that position, the costliest thing to do may be to do nothing. By talking to one of our trusted advisors now, we can help you find a solution to ensure your cash works better for you and your financial planning and investment goals. Let's start the conversation. Call us now or search Davy. Davy. It's not just business, it's personal. Janey Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Now, Google has reversed its plan to rent 202,000 square feet at the Sorting Office building in Dublin. Is this simply a rational response to the pandemic, or can it be seen as an ominous sign for Google's commitment to Ireland? Irish Times technology expert Kira O'Brien is here to talk us through this story. Kira, how would you assess Google's change of mind? Well, I wouldn't be panicking too much just yet. Um, in terms of Google's commitment to to Ireland, I think they've been very clear that you know they employ eight thousand people here. It's not an indication that they're planning on retrenching anytime soon. It's more that, I mean, this office space would have had space for about 2,000 employees. It was a rental rather than a building that they own. And they do own quite a few buildings around Dublin city centre, including two that, you know, that they're currently in the process of being finished. And at the moment, Google, like a lot of companies, their staff are working from home. They don't really have a need for extra office space right this very minute. I think that's the, the, the key difference. I mean, they were in talks to, to rent this place, the sorting office uh, on Dublin South Keys. It's a seven story building space for for 2000 people. And it's, you know, ready pretty much you know now. So why would they need it, given that everybody is currently working from home and they have these other two buildings? They have Boland's Key and they have the Treasury building that are currently being finished um, when everybody is going to be working from home until, I suppose, they're on an optional work from home until June, the end of June 2021, as it stands at the moment. Um, it would basically be space, I suppose, that's lying idle. Uh, so that would, it wouldn't really make much sense for them to do it. I know it's caused a bit of, of consternation in that, you know, people kind of see it as a bit of a, a warning bell for both Google and for the commercial property sector. I suppose I'd be more worried for the commercial property sector. But even at that, I mean, I think it's very early days to say that this is a massive shift for any of the industries because we're not in normal times. I mean, I hate to keep using the phrase uh, unprecedented times because, you know, it's, it's so overused these days. But that's what we're in. I mean, we are not in normal times. Uh, it's very hard to kind of make a prediction, I think, on what will happen in the future when we don't know what that future is going to look like. We don't know how long the pandemic is going to go on for. We don't know how long people are going to be asked to work from home. And until we have, I suppose, a better visibility on that, you know, any kind of uh, I suppose, speculation about this being the end of, of Google's expansion in Dublin or being the end of the, the commercial property sector, it's all a little bit premature. So tell me there a little bit now about their presence in, in Dublin. It's pretty substantial, as you say. So so what have they got here? What do they do here and how many people are employed? Well, they have 15 offices in Dublin. So that's a mix of buildings they own and rent. Um, and once, I suppose, if you take all of those buildings, including the new ones, they'd have space for about 11,000 people. They currently employ 
8,000. So obviously that's, you know, without social distancing taken into account um, at the moment, obviously the, the amount of people they could fit in those buildings would be a, a bit lower uh, purely because you have to have extra space. So, I mean, if, given that they're working from home until the end of June, they do have time to kind of get these extra buildings up and running and then reassess, I suppose, when it comes to June, whether or not they need any extra space. Um, I don't think, as I said, I don't think it's, it makes much sense to take on an extra office capacity at the moment because it's essentially going to be lying idle. Uh, Google is the kind of the mainstay, I suppose, of the Silicon Docks area in Dublin. They do have a considerable presence and all you have to do is walk down Barrow Street to see that. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, given that they've put so much money into it. Uh, I mean, it may mean in the future, this is obviously pure speculation on my part, it may mean in the future that maybe more people will work from home because they, you know, they, they found that it suits them. But I think we can all agree that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, we all thought, well, it feels like a couple of years ago anyway, maybe eight months ago, we all thought working from home would be the ideal thing. This is, you know, work-life balance. We could work from home. We could do what we needed to do. We could still be present in family life. Um, and the reality is that a lot of people who thought they would excel at working from home, they would really thrive on it, are finding now that they kind of miss the office a little bit. Uh, and while I don't think we're going to go back to that uh rigid structure of everybody having to be sat at a desk at nine o'clock every morning. I think there will be more flexibility there. And I think employers are recognizing the value of that. The idea that we're all suddenly going to abandon the office in favor of working from our spare room, it's probably not quite reality either. And bearing in mind that for a lot of these tech companies, their employees would, you know, typically be younger, um, or I suppose they typically be younger, they may have families, but a lot of them are going to be working in, are going to be living in shared spaces. They might have roommates. Uh, and that's not ideal for working from home. I mean, if you are going to work from home, the best setup is to have an office space where you can go and be away from everybody because there's nothing more distracting than people, uh, particularly people who aren't doing the same job as you. So, you know, from from that point of view, I think the idea that, that Google is suddenly just going to pull up sticks and, and get rid of all its offices and go to a distributed workforce where everybody works from home, it's not realistic. It is really interesting, isn't it? Because tech companies, they almost seem to have led the charge on uh, working from home, both at the outset of this pandemic and also now in giving their workforces quite, you know, far out dates for a possible return. I think you said it was June next year, 2021, that Google have said their employees can work from home until. And I think Twitter has said you can work from home forever if that's what you want. You have that option. But that's not what they were known for before, is it? Before they were kind of known for, you know, the things, you know, like the, the fully stocked fridges and the ping pong tables and other kind of perks that almost seem designed to keep people on site for as long as possible. And we used to talk about the downsides of that as well. I mean, you know, you can never leave. But as you say, there's downsides to the opposite as well, to saying you can never come back as well. Do you think that there will be any kind of push led by the workforce to, to get back into those offices or is it just corporate rules here? I think it's a funny one because the more people I'm talking to about the whole working from home thing, the more people are telling me, well, actually, we kind of always had that option you know, that we had that flexibility. I mean, obviously not every single day because sometimes you might need to be in the office for a meeting or you might be working on a project that requires you to be working closely with a particular team. But for a lot of the tech employees that I'm, um, I've am i spoken to about this, they're basically saying, look, this, 
idea that tech companies didn't offer flexible working before, it's not really ringing true for them. Now, obviously, you know, it, it'll be a different case from, from company to company. Um, the idea of them giving this deadline of, you know, June next year is less about, uh, you know, kind of keeping people out of the office until then or because it's necessary until then and more giving people a bit of certainty. So I have two children. I need to know, am I going to be dragged back into the office in January? Because if so, I'm going to have to rearrange some childcare. And it's it's kind of giving people that more, that, that goal, um, basically saying, look, until June 2021, this is what we're going to be doing. Um, I mean, I think some people have the option to go back into the office if they find it's not working for them working from home for those reasons that we've mentioned before, that maybe they're in a shared space, maybe they don't have room for an office space, maybe they have, you know, three children who just won't leave them alone and they can't get anything done. They find they work better in an office environment. Um, I mean, Facebook, I think, is along the same lines as it said, you know, July, the start of July is when they're kind of aiming to get people back in the office. And they're also another company that has invested quite a bit in a new campus. Um, I mean, they're they're developing a campus on the site of the former AIB Bank Centre out in Balls Bridge, and they are still planning on, key, on sticking to that. As far as they're concerned, that will be their main office. And I think like obviously COVID has delayed things, but the intention is to get like the 2000 people who are currently working in Grand Canal and get them into that office when it's safe to do so. Salesforce would be another one. I mean, they're kind of, uh, they're in the process of uh, developing Salesforce Tower um, down at Spencer Dock. I mean, obviously there's been some legal wrangling over the height of that, but that is still going ahead. So I, I mean, I think all the indications are that um, that people will be going back into the office. And while I know, like, obviously, the, the, the tech companies um, have a lot of things that are designed to keep you in the office for as long as possible, I suppose that's aimed at people that suits to stay in the office for as long as possible rather than every single employee. Because, I mean, look, the amount of, you can have all the gyms, on-site gyms and foosball tables you like, but if you have to leave at six o'clock to pick up your child, you have to leave at six o'clock to keep up, pick up your child. So... There is going to be, I think, a hybrid of this. And I think, yes, employees will, will demand more. I think it's it's harder for employers to go back to that pure office work, that pure office-based work, after people have been working from home for so long and demonstrating that they can do it effectively. I think what will come out of it now is that people will be more certain about what works for them. I mean, most of us probably haven't had the chance to work from home for long periods of time. Now we have. Do we actually really like it? Or do we feel like we are living at work instead of working from home? Because that's what a lot of people are, are, are finding, that that line is blurring and they don't particularly like that. They like going into the office and leaving at the end of the day and when work is done and there isn't the temptation to stay online for uh, for hours after your shift officially ends because you know you might pick up another couple of emails. I think that will be more of the the... I suppose that the trend that emerges, you know, will people actually want to do it rather than will they be trying to force employers to do it? So this this change of mind by Google, it's, as you say, it's a smart kind of canny decision not to, you know, pay money, to wait perhaps until the, the cost of office leases uh, falls, not to have a building there sitting idle during a pandemic. But there was a big reaction to it, wasn't it, when this, the story broke on Monday night? Because I suppose people feel that these are employers, they're huge employers, they can expand their workforces really quickly, but they can also contract their workforces really quickly. And we've seen that, you know, Google 
I, I know it's not <laughs> in any sort of trouble, but it did have its first quarterly decline in, in earnings in the in the second quarter there it has been affected by the downturn in, in, in advertising. I suppose there was, I suppose, a realistic fear that this was the first maybe uh, sign of a sort of retraction in other similar expansion plans and perhaps even announcements of, of huge job losses. I think that's a natural reaction, to be honest. I would, I think, you know, when something like that hits, you know, here, oh, Google's pulling out of this massive office building, but the context is kind of lost in amongst the headlines. You know, I guess Google is not going to go ahead with renting this office space, but they're still going ahead with the other two buildings that they have that they can currently house more employees than they actually have. I wouldn't be panicking just yet. Look, we're in the middle of a crisis. Everybody is going to be affected by it. I think it's natural and it's human nature to look for the the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, obviously, you know, if, if people start to lose their jobs, but basically just take a breath and, and think about it without panicking. It's not really, like on the face of it, it's, it's, it's a huge deal. But then you realize that companies like Amazon have announced new jobs and new uh, new buildings, even when the pandemic is ongoing. So, you know, there is growth there. It's just, obviously we're in recession. It's not, uh, it's not a great time, but just because we're in a recession doesn't mean that all sectors are going to be negatively impacted to the degree where they have to start looking at cutting jobs. Obviously, we'd prefer if no sector was cutting jobs and we weren't in recession and we weren't in the middle of a pandemic because we're all sick of it at this point. But these things are cyclical as well. And I think one of the good examples to look at is Dell because Dell, when they closed down some of their operations in Ireland, there was a bit of a panic. Uh, It was a significant number of jobs that they lost. But since then, they've actually grown and they've brought back more jobs than they ever lost. So these things like... They are cyclical. It's easy for me to say it now and it's difficult to see it while we're in the middle of it. You know, they do come back. So, you know, maybe take a breath. We won't panic just yet. And we won't see this as an indication that Google is is preparing a hasty exit because all indications are they're not. So there might be a lack of clarity, as I think the American Chamber of Commerce said at the moment, but it's important to sort of keep a long-term perspective. Google isn't going anywhere as, as far as we know. They've invested quite a significant sum of money in Ireland. The idea that they're just going to pack up shop because of a downturn. When we've been here before, you know, there was, I know that not quite to the same degree in that, you know, it wasn't as sharp a shock, but, you know, we have been, we have been through recessions before. We have come out the other side. So I'm, call me Pollyanna. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just loath to kind of, things are depressing enough as it is, you know, without, um, trying to second guess what tech companies are, are are or are not going to be doing when we really don't have any firm idea that, you know, the, the worst case scenario is going to come to pass. Uh, I, I'm kind of taking the, the, the outlook that I will panic about jobs when I see more solid indications that they may be preparing to cut jobs. I think that's a, a very sensible note to end on. Thank you very much for talking us through that, uh, Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times. And that's it for this week's Inside Business. My thanks again to Owen Burke Kennedy and Kira O'Brien. Today's podcast was produced by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. We'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>